Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. This is the second part of two parts of the recording on the topic of faith within the topic of salvation. So here is part two. And if you haven't listened to part one, go back to listen to that. And so when we talk about and I was already referencing St. Paul a lot. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And he has the majority of the letters in the New Testament. So now I want to talk about uh, when people talk about, uh, well, St. Paul talks about faith without work. So it's really like a faith alone thing. And then faith of Abraham. See, Abraham was saved by faith. He wasn't saved by even circumcision. And baptism is the new circumcision. So he didn't even need to be baptized or anything, right? So it's, it's faith of Abraham. So let's go into that. I love I love this because a lot of people uh, um, will say, well, look at Romans and Galatians. It's clear in there. It's faith apart from works, right? So it's faith that saves us. Works has nothing to do with it. And uh, I those are the most Catholic books in the New Testament, in my opinion, <laughs> because what is St. Paul preaching there? And let's first back up for a second. So this is, I actually want to bring out what the biggest concern in the first century was. Um, and it's all over the New Testament. It's literally pri- these primary reasons that the New Testament letters were even written because it was the apostles who had the authority of Jesus Christ himself as the overseers of the new covenant kingdom to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And when they weren't there in the church, St. Paul would write, Peter would write, and that Peter would write to not even a single church. He was the the shepherd of all the churches, right? He was the Pope, so he would write to, he was writing like basically an encyclical. James was ta- was speaking, all these uh, different apostles were speaking because they knew that they had authority. So this is the things that, I, I'm going to list off five things. They were writing because they were worried, uh, they were talking against those who are denying Christ that is God in the flesh, right? So they ca- that's called the spirit of the Antichrist in, in the first in first John. And this is why the gospel of John was written is because he was battling a heresy that people were saying, well, Jesus was just a man. He wasn't divine. He wasn't divine. Right. So they were denying that Jesus is divine is a divine person. So that's the one concern. The second concern is that Jesus is the Jewish Christ or Messiah. So St. Paul, what would he do with his Jewish brothers and sisters? And people would debate all day long in the synagogues. He's saying Jesus is the promised Christ. Look at the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus fulfills all of these things. St. Paul even talks about in second Corinthians that when even to this day when the Jews read in the synagogues all the the Moses and the prophets they read it with a veil Jesus Christ unveils all of scripture and the scripture he's referring to at that time is the Old Testament and then the third uh, biggest concern is that those that are heretical and not part of the apostolic tradition that are following and those that are following teachings apart from the church so it's all over the New Testament letters stop following these people listen to us if they're not of us then they're not true like hold to fast to the traditions of the church that is the pillar and bulwark of truth and the fourth biggest concern is immorality and this is a primary concern with these new pagan and gentile converts who had horrible sexual immorality right and then the fifth one and this is where we talk about with saint paul and galatians and romans even though he addresses uh like immorality and stuff like that within the church and also the apostolic traditions like the heresies and also the jesus is the actual jewish christ and messiah with the with the jewish people but this fifth concern was the judaizers the judaizers were converts to christianity from judaism but they were proclaiming and telling people that you had to do the works of the mosaic law in order to be a christian so what they 
they tell people you had to become, you had to be circumcised and you had to follow the Mosaic law, like the dietary restrictions, this, the, the, uh, all the feast days that were in there. You had to earn your way, right? You had to earn your way to God still, even though Christ, uh, um, died for us. So this is St. Paul's biggest concern in Galatians and in Romans. And this is why I say it's the most Catholic that it can get because it's the most developed in justification and righteousness and salvation. And it's specifically, he's proclaiming what has already been dogmatically defined by the church of Peter and, and, and the apostles in Jerusalem in Acts 15 and Acts 16. And right before that, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are arguing with all these Jewish people uh, that you do not have to be circumcised in order to become Christian. So all these Gentiles that the Spirit fell upon, they do not have to become Jewish in order to become uh, Christians. And so what they do, they couldn't even figure it out. So they needed to go to the church, just as Jesus told them to do in Matthew 18. If you can't figure it out with two or three witnesses and if you can't figure it out together, go to the church. And if they don't even listen to the church, what he says is basically excommunicate them, treat them as a tax collector, collector and a heathen. <laughs> so they go to the church and who stands up? Peter had this revelation that that the spirit of God is this new covenant is not cut off from anybody. It's for the whole human race. It is the grafting on of the Gentiles into the new covenant of the Jewish people, right? And that's what all of Romans 11 is about is that the new covenant uh, Gentiles are grafted into that that root of Judaism. So it's the grafting onto that. And so the church dogmatically defines, and even that Greek word dogma that we use today is used in uh, Acts 16.4 when it says the decision, the dogma was proclaimed through the letters to, to all the churches and they rejoiced because they heard from the, the church dogmatically, right? But still people were still proclaiming this heresy of of the Judaizers, that you had to follow the Mosaic law, you had to be circumcised, you had to do all these things, even as a Christian. So right when he's talking about, all over the place when he's talking about, it is faith apart from works. He's talking about faith apart from the works of the law. You can even read it in context. He's talking about circumcision all over the place. And we all we are already read Galatians 5, 6. It says, uh, in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision, is regardless it does is regarding to nothing but it's faith working through love and so and that's the whole context i would highly recommend anybody reading it and uh romans especially is super developed because in romans 1 he talks about how all the gentiles and all the people have no excuse to know that uh to not know God because he's revealed himself clearly through through nature, through reason. In Romans 2, he talks about justification and what we're going to be uh, judged on, which is based on what we do, our works, our deeds, and those who... Um, and you know, being doers of the law, and then in Gal- and then in Romans three, he starts talking about how we are saved, which is through faith. It's faith apart from works of the law. And so Romans three, all the way through five, is talking about uh, faith. He's talking about faith, and then Romans four, he's talking about faith of Abraham, and then God's promises are realized through through faith. And then uh, Romans five, he talks about results of justification, which is faith, hope, and love. 
and the love of God that's been poured into our hearts. That word for pouring is like baptism. It's being like plunged into but through the Holy Spirit. And then he further talks about original sin, how uh, he's referring back to Adam and Christ and how Christ is the new man. And uh, through the one man of Adam, all, all have sinned and one man in Christ are made righteous. And then in Romans 6, he climaxes to all, how fate, how we get participate in, in this new life in Christ through faith, and it's through baptism. He says, are, are you unaware that you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You are baptized into his death. You are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he goes on from there talking about, are you, like, to... Now that you are in the law, stop sinning. You are either slaves of sin or of righteousness. And then he goes into the analogy of marriage in chapters, uh, chapter 7, and he says, Now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but the new, but in the new life of the Spirit. Then he talks about the law and sin, and then he goes into, in Romans 8, the life in the Spirit, and then the glory to be revealed, and God's love in Christ Jesus and then he talks about the Jewish people, and still, and they're and they're uh, still being uh, the chosen people of God, and uh, how we're grafted into that. And Romans ten talks about salvation for believers in Christ, and uh, the salvation of the Gentiles in faith, and this new life in Christ. And he talks about stop sinning and walk in newness of life. So when we talk about works, we're talking about the good works of like morality and serving people not the works of the law, which is by the Catholic Church in the first century through Peter and the apostles have dogmatically defined that it's not by circumcision or works of the Mosaic law that you're saved. You are saved by grace through faith, working itself out in love. So when we say works, it ain't this works. And it we full-heartedly say it's faith without works because it is the Catholic Church that proclaimed that in the first century with Peter and the Apostles. And to further show that distinguishment by St. Paul himself from works of the Mosaic Law versus works, which he's talking about morality and uh, walking in newness of life, walking in Christ, we see in Romans 13, right after, beginning in verses 11, uh, right after uh, the beginning of Chapter 12 in Romans, he talks about new life in Christ, marks of the true Christian, which is genuine rejoicing in persecution, rejoicing in hope and working and overcoming evil with good. And then uh, starting in uh, chapter 13, he starts talking about being subject to authorities and then loving one another to outdo each, don't owe anything to each other except to love one another and that love fulfills all things and love is the fulfillment of the law. And then he says this in Romans and beginning in Romans uh, 13, 11. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So he's talking about continuation of faith, right? The, not once saved, always saved. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becoming as in the day, not in reviling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So right here, he's commending all Christians to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put off the works of darkness and sin and to turn and to continue on um, and that saving faith that we have to continue in good works. And then in all of chapter 14 in Romans, now he's right after he says this, now he distinguishes between the Judaizers who want to keep the Mosaic law and the Gentiles who don't want to do that. And then he is tolerant to both of them, but he says, do not judge one another in this. So this is all of chapter 14. 14. And he says, uh, 
and it, when he starts talking about the Mosaic law, he says, and um, you know, those who would be passing judgment, he says, let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats. So he's talking about Gentiles, don't judge the Jews who, who want to keep the Mosaic law and keep their kosher laws and stuff like that. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And then jumping down to verse 5, he says, One man esteems one day as better than the other, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He also he also who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he give, gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives, gives thanks to God. So all right here, he's talking about, again, don't pass judgment on uh, those who are practicing the Mosaic law and eating, and those who are uh, you know, abstaining, don't don't judge them either. Because then, starting in verse 13, he's, he's continuing on. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So he's talking about how conscience is our guide in morality. So if your brother is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So again, we're all one in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. The Mosaic law is completed in Jesus and we're no longer walking in Mosaic law. But everything you do, do it in honor of the Lord, whether you abstain or eat or uh, specifically in the first century right here, the Gentiles or the Jews. Whether Whatever you do, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Stop judging one another based on the Mosaic law or based on this. You're based... Uh, you're one in the spirit, you're one in the body. So begin walking in that. So then he continues, for the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make others fall by what he eats. It is right not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Happy is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he reproves. But he who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So the whole thing is talking about how we are to be one in Christ Jesus and not based on the Mosaic law and judging one another based on that. And in another place where you see this really fully uh, talking about how Christ fulfills all of the Mosaic law and that the Mosaic law is finished, but to continue working in good works, which is talking about like morality and everything like that, is in Colossians chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3. And I'll start right here in verse 11. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the work working of God who raised him from the dead. So right here he's talking about baptism is the fulfillment in the new covenant of circumcision. And everybody has been baptized into this new circumcision of Christ being buried with him and being raised, believing and being baptized. And you who are dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, talking about Gentiles, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, this is where he talks about the Mosaic law. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So here, St. Paul is talking about how Christ fulfills all of this. All of the, all of the Mosaic law was, was a foreshadowing of Christ fulfilling it. And now in Christ, in one spirit, we are uh, all one in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile. And then right after that, so uh, talking about no, not being part of works of the Mosaic law, then he talk, talks about in cha- all of chapter 3 of a new life in Christ. And what does he say? Put to death what is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And and these what you once walked, you lived in them, but now put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk with your mouth. Put off the old man with his practices and have put on the new man, who is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And over all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he's talking about right order, right? So there, uh, in all throughout his his letters, but there specifically in Romans and Colossians, we see this beautiful uh, vision of St. Paul and what the Catholic Church has said since Peter and the Apostles, is that the Mosaic Law has been fulfilled in Christ and we are all one in Christ Jesus to put off the works of the evil and do good works that we are created for in Christ Jesus, as Ephesians 2 says. And uh, so the works that we're talking about is continuing in the good works that Christ is doing in us to cooperate with the grace and to be children of light and to put off all the works of darkness and evil and of the flesh. So Mosaic law fulfilled. Don't uh, don't judge each other based off of that, but judge each other with right judgment based on love and being knit together in that bond of peace in the spirit of unity as we are all created in one body in Christ Jesus. So that's faith and faith without works and we can go into much more of that as well. But And now the faith of Abraham, this is actually a perfect segue because he's talking about in Romans, uh, the faith of Abraham back in when he's talking about how we're uh, saved by faith in Romans uh, 4, I believe he talks about Abraham. Um, And then he's mentioned in Galatians and James and in Hebrews. But before we get into all of the specifics on that, let's first talk about on why Abraham is being mentioned at all, whether it's by Jesus, the Pharisees, St. Paul, specifically we're going to be talking about St. Paul, but uh, why is he being referenced at all? Well, if you go all the way back, and this is why it's so critical why St. Paul is even talking about this in the first place, that you're not saved by the Mosaic law, you're saved by faith. Because if you go back, and Abraham is even called our father in faith, right? So go all the way back to Genesis 15. This is literally after the covenant made with Adam and Eve, the the couple, and then with Noah, the family. And this is the one with the tribe now. So now God is beginning to reveal uh, through to the world, through Abraham and his descendants, um, his love, right? And that's fulfilled in, in Jesus. But this is what he promises to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God promises him a threefold promise. One is a land promise that he is going to be given a promised land, which is fulfilled not until Moses, a kingdom promise, which is fulfilled in David and not until 2 Samuel 7, and a promise of a worldwide blessing that is fulfilled in Jesus. And so all of these promises are fulfilled after he dies. And even at the time he's saying this, he doesn't have any children. Him and Sarah are old and they don't have any children. And yet he still believes in what God is saying. And then uh, he has 
a child, Isaac, and then he is even, uh, he's tested not to, so God can figure something out about him, but the, so that he can figure out, he, he is actually learning more and more about himself as God is leading him on. And so he tells him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and he's about to, you know, and so then it's this lamb of God that uh, God was going to provide himself, and that's fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus fulfills Moses and David, and all those things that even uh, they were fulfilled several times, right? So that like the land promise fulfilled in Moses, kingdom promise fulfilled in David, but both of those are obviously filled all in Christ Jesus. But this goes all the way back before even the uh, covenant of circumcision that he gives to Abraham later on. So it's even before this that he is moving in faith in God. So it's an, he even what he does, he moves, and it's an expressive act of faith. It's not just a faith like, well, I believe, right? So like, think of Noah. If he's just like, yeah, I believe God, but I'm not going to build this ark. Well, he would die too. He needs to act. His faith saved him, right? In Hebrews 11, it talks about Noah. Uh, Abraham, if he didn't move, if he did not, if he did not go, as God said, then he would not have seen God's promises fulfilled. But he moved, so his faith is art is still expressed, right? So his faith isn't just a mere belief; it's not faith alone. His faith was moved and expressed in a tr- in that relationship with God that he moved. So we're now grafted into that faith that was fulfilled in him, and it's not and it's and it's based on the promises that were given by God to Abraham before even the covenants of circumcision the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, the priesthood, all those things were established, right? So he is our father in faith because it's God beginning to reveal his love to all humanity through a chosen people, which is Abraham's descendants. And in Jesus, he also talks about how God can raise up descendants even from these rocks, right, from from Abraham. So to be a descendant of Abraham is a spiritual communion from that is activated through faith. And that's why it's so critical. It's not just a lineal descent. It's also to the whole human race, to the, to the Gentiles as well. And so that's one aspect of it is that it's to the Gentiles. And the second aspect of it is that it's not based on uh, your salvation is not based on just works of the law of avoiding all these things and doing these things and being so scrupulous of things that you can't even probably keep. Uh, and that's why St. Paul is so critical of it is because ain't nobody's going to be able to keep keep these this law. So we're freed from the law that's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So it's the faith of Abraham that we are all grafted into and it's the faith of Abraham that we are saved through, right? That, that, that faith expressed in love of God and uh, in walking and trusting in his promises. As it says in Hebrews 11, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's trusted in the promises of God, the one who you're in that relationship with, what we're in that relationship with just as Abraham he was in that relationship with God through faith and he trusted in his promises and all three promises that we just mentioned he did not see in his lifetime but he fully believed so he's our father in faith that's not based in the mosaic law but that's based in faith in the fullness of Christ Jesus and God's promises to move in that and so um, and then so that's one aspect of it faith expressed uh, just like Abraham was as well but also a lot of people will reference well he's referenced in uh, Romans that it was reckoned to him as righteousness right so uh, some some people will reference these reference that uh, in Romans 4 3 as a proof text for like once saved always saved and obviously there's a ton of references we'll do a whole other episode on uh, you know once saved, always saved, and how that's just completely unbiblical. But uh, we'll actually talk about Abraham right now and why he's this is so important in, in Abraham. So 
Abraham is mentioned in Hebrews when he goes through all the Old Testament figures and how they, it was their, their faith that they ex, uh, their faith in God and their expression that that they were considered righteous. And then Hebrews twelve it talks about the communion of saints. So all these people who followed God in faith and um, saved by Christ Jesus are in the communion of saints. Um, and then uh, so that's in Hebrews. And then James, Romans, and Galatians. I want to talk about so. Romans 4.3, this is actually a reference to Genesis 15.6, but this is only the second act of justification for Abraham that's mentioned in the New Testament. So it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness in, uh, in Romans 4.3. So that was actually, if you go back to Genesis, that was the second time that he was considered ju- justified. The first time was actually referenced in Hebrews 11.8, and it references back to Genesis 12.2. And then it's uh, referenced a third time in James 2.21 that references back to Genesis 22, that uh, Abraham was reckoned as righteousness. So even in the New Testament, it talks about this three uh, times, three different times in the life of Abraham. The first time in in Genesis 12.2, the second time in in Genesis 15, 6, and then the third time in Genesis 22, that is reckoned to him as righteousness. Not that he was, it was reckoned to him as righteousness and then he was good. He didn't have to do anything. He was justified or he was righteous because of that. No, he continued in that walk. His faith was a continuation. It was, he was, he was righteous, he is righteous, and he's continuing and he hopes to be righteous based on God's grace. So it's that faith expressed in love and it's that threefold uh, salvation of a past, a present, and a future. It's a threefold expression of that faith that is fulfilled and and the New Testament clearly communicates that even with Abraham that believed God and is reckoned to him as righteousness. Again, those references, the first one is referenced in Hebrews 11.8. The second act of justification is in uh, Romans 4.3. And the third act of justification is referenced in James 2.21. And so all that we see all throughout scripture is that obedience, humility, and faith are all connected. And it's all fulfilled in love. So if you have love, it's it fulfills all these things, right? And there, So obedience, humility, and faith are all connected. They can't be separated. So great is faith that even in suffering, we trust that there's a greater good. So so great is humility and obedience that Jesus and St. Paul tells us to even be obedient to those in authority, even the government, the officials, the uh, um, our parents, and all of these things to, to have uh, to be obedient to. Hebrews talks about being obedient to the um, elders that are above us, the aka the bishops of the church. And that's, that's, I mean, it's completely different because they're supposed to be um, serving in love, right? They're not called to be served, but to serve. So the kingdom of Jesus is different from the kingdom of the world. But uh, Jesus and St. Paul even tells us to obey the authority of the government. Now, that doesn't mean that in everything, because if they're wrong, then we have to obey God rather than men when they contradict each other. But nonetheless, they do tell us to obey those who are in the government, those who have authority over us, if they're you know not contradicting God's revelation, then to be obedient to them because they have a uh, you know God permitted that to happen. So and and this obedience shows our faith in divine providence that even in bad things, our suffering and trials, the Lord allows it for the greater good. And no authority is given on earth unless it's granted from above, as Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our only our own willingness to sin separates us. And we'll talk about that in another episode. But and our humility to show that I am me and God is God. So uh, that's humility. So this faith, hope, obedience, and, and humility are always intertwined. 
a perfect example of humility. Humility is not just like to suppress myself. Humility is actually being super truthful of who I am and who God is and who other people are and just being honest, right? So the perfect example of this is the good thief on the cross. He was redeemed because he rightly identified his self as he really is, a sinner and a thief that received the right punishment and identified Jesus as he really is, God himself that has everything in control. Even right in the midst of evil, there he is on the cross in a self-emptying obedience of the, for the salvation of all. And he, this is the first canonized saint, is the good thief on the cross, who proclaims Jesus Christ to everybody there, who suffers with Christ, and he has the grace of God working in his soul, right? And he acts in accordance with that, and he, in humility, he identifies himself in relation to Jesus on the cross. So again, faith expressed in love is a saving faith that is needed for our salvation. And that type of faith leads us to everything that Jesus has revealed. Baptism, the Eucharist, the church, the scriptures through the church, uh, just salvation itself and what we're going to be judged on. It's all because of what Jesus said, because we trust in him, that childlike faith expressed in love, humbly being obedient to Jesus. And one more thing before we move into faith alone is that when this goes when St. Paul is talking about faith of Abraham and how it is faith, not apart from works of the law, the Mosaic law, that we are grafted into uh, and into the life of God and we are made one in Christ Jesus. You look at Ephesians, which is just loaded, all talking about the, the Catholic church. It is the church that Jesus founded and how it operates as one body. And in Ephesians uh, 2, starting in verse 11, he, ta- he starts talking about being one in Christ Jesus. And so he's, he's here talking to the Gentiles in Ephesians 2, and he's talking about how they were grafted into Christ Jesus, one with the, the Jewish people in Christ Jesus through faith. Because in just this is just a quick description of the temple of the for sacrifices and Jesus is revealed as the true high priest the true temple and the true lamb of god that was sacrificed right and offered for our salvation and in the temple there was actually an an outer area where gentiles could come and pray so gentiles could come into the temple but then there was this inner area for jews and that that dividing wall is what separated Jews from Gentiles in the covenant of God of being in the presence of God uh, fully, right? So he's talking to them, and this starts in Ephesians 2.11. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. So he's talking about this dividing wall of hostility. What he's talking about is that dividing wall in the temple that separated Gentiles and the Jewish people. So now with Jesus as the true and fulfilled high priest in the Holy of Holies that uh, brings Gentile and Jew together. And even uh, Jesus referencing Psalm uh, 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the end of that is vindication. And it's also the fulfillment of the Messiah bringing Gentile and Jew into 
into one covenant. So it's the salvation for the whole world. And so I really just wanted to share that really quick to get even more and more into the mind of St. Paul when he's writing this. And what's on his heart is the Judaizers. And he's talking about the Gentiles. Hey, you've been grafted on through faith, which the Catholic Church proclaimed in Acts 15 dogmatically. So stop listening to the Judaizers and Judaizers. Stop portraying the gospel as a gospel of works. No, it's the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus that has been grafted on to the whole human race, uh, fulfilled and grafted into that root of the of the Jewish people, of the chosen people. Now all the people in Christ Jesus are made one in the covenant. So we are made one body, one spirit. Now I want to move into faith alone. And I actually want to start by saying where we can say faith alone at, because um, I remember this uh, super anti-Catholic email went out to a bunch of people and I emailed him back and we were going back and forth. And he was specifically talking about the doctrine of the Eucharist and he had this huge explanation. And obviously, just as I did when I was uh, anti-Catholic is, and when I still have conversations here and there is that when one conversation, one topic gets brought up, all of a sudden, within the context of that conversation, they bring up a whole bunch of other stuff, right? So he's listening to all these things, and he's talking about the Eucharist on how St. Thomas Aquinas explained that it's by faith alone that we know that Jesus is present. And then he like slightly references, see, St. Thomas Aquinas, your doctor of the church even says faith alone, but the Catholic Church is so opposed to using faith alone. <laughs> and uh, so I actually want to start there, is that throughout the Christian tradition, faith alone was never a term to be scared of because we had it in the right context. We don't mean faith alone from a salvation perspective, but when we use faith alone, it's because there's no perceptible, you can't arrive uh, merely on reason or merely on um, philosophy to understand the Trinity. Nothing in philosophy, nothing in your reason is going to say, yep, God must be three persons because X, Y, and Z. No, we only know that through divine revelation. We only know that Jesus is present because of divine revelation. It looks like a piece of bread. It tastes like a piece of bread. It looks like wine. It tastes like wine. It smells like wine. If you drink enough, you'd get drunk. Everything tells you that it's bread and wine. Everything told you that Jesus was only man. But fullness of God's revelation says that he is God, that he is that uh, that God is three persons, one God, one in being, one uh, one divine nature, but three distinct persons because of revelation. So we don't have any problem saying faith alone in those aspects, right? Because again, like it's not merely just reason, but reason in uh, that Jesus rose from the dead gives me reason enough to have faith <laughs> in all of those things, right? So I may have faith alone in that sense. But when it comes to salvation, the very first time that, sal- that faith alone was ever even brought up was 1,600 years after the time of Christ. Never, ever has it ever been preached even in the Bible, because the only time that you find faith alone in the Bible, the words are not in front of it. So not to be like too harsh or anything like that, but this is from history and from scripture, a man-made tradition of the 16th century. And so just to give some background, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest in Germany, and he was extremely scrupulous. Ever since he was really little, he had a dad that was super hard on him. Um, and he had a lot of like anger in his heart. You know, he had writings against Jewish people. He was anti-Semitic. He had things that were contrary to the love of God and to the love of neighbor. But um, in his writings, he began questioning a lot of things. 
Um, and one of them, because he was so scrupulous, was like, well, I can never actually be good. I can never actually be um, work my way to God, which is actually a completely misunderstanding of what what grace is and what um, the Catholic Church teaches because God doesn't just declare us righteous, although he does, but he actually makes us righteous, right? Like Hebrews says, it's the just men made perfect. And God, when he created the world, he didn't just say, let, let there be light. And then there was just this metaphorical light or this covering of light. No, it actually, he speaks and it comes into being. So when he declares us righteous, he actually makes us righteous. And even if, if we're not perfected in our hearts and completely in that purified love of God and neighbor uh, at the end of our lives, then we would uh, enter through the purification and be if if you know we die in God's friendship but not perfected in that love, then we'd go through purification, which is seen right in First Corinthians three that that purgation state of our soul being purified by the love of God, so that all de- deta- all attachments to things that are contrary to the love of God would be purified away. Um, and it's not a sec- and we we're gonna go into purgatory, but you kind of see how this goes right into a lot of uh, justification. Um, so he's being scrupulous and he, now he wants to put in faith alone. And he was so adamant that it's faith alone that, uh, and just really quick, you know, the faith apart from works, we already dis- we already talked about earlier in this episode um, in Galatians and Romans, but also he would begin to emphasize faith alone so heavily, which in his uh, German translation of scripture, which by the way, it is not the first German translation. The Catholic church has been translating into any language so that people can read scripture throughout the entire tradition of the church. So there's actually hundreds of German translations from the Catholic church. It wasn't the first time that like Martin Luther started putting the scripture into, into the vernacular. But anyways, his German translation of scripture, he went so far in that to emphasize faith alone, that he actually added the word alone in his translation into Romans 3.28. And the correct translation in the original Greek in Romans 3.28 says this, we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. And again, we already talked about what works of law mean. It's the, the Mosaic law. But he added in the word alone in front and behind faith. So he's, his his translation said, we hold that a man is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. Well, that didn't slide. So then what he started doing is he began attacking just books of the Bible. So he wanted to take out parts of the Old Testament that, um, that were contrary to his belief. And then he also wanted to take out, uh, he wanted to take out Hebrews. He wanted to take, about, take out Revelation. And he called James an epistle of straw. So he wanted to take it out, right? So again, he is coming with his man-made belief and impressing them upon scripture. And where does scripture say? Do not add or subtract from the word of God, right? And this is what is happening. And so he wanted to take this out because in James chapter two, it goes through this entire thing about how we're saved. And it says this, what does it profit my brethren? If a man says he has faith, but has not works, can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and in daily in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So hint, hint, even the demons believe. (laughs) So what separates us between us and demons? We walk in the spirit and we walk as children of light and not children of the darkness, like John says. 
And so he continues, Do you want to be shown, you foolish fellow, that faith apart from works is barren? And a quick side note, that word barren that I just have in my translation is actually useless or lifeless, which means dead. And St. Paul continues, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by works. And the scripture was fulfilled when, when it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and then he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So that's the only time that faith alone is ever referenced in scripture and the words and the word not is in front of it. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So, and what is he talking about? When he's talking about faith and works, he's just talking about the works of Christ, the, the, the good works of morality and walking in the spirit and the works that was talked about in Romans and Galatians and, and the, those faith apart from works is works of the Mosaic law. And it's clearly in the context when they're talking about circumcision and Jews and Gentiles and all that stuff, right? So uh, that is why we would have a huge issue of saying, yeah, it's faith alone. All you got to do is believe and you're good to go. No, it's a life completely transformed by the grace and love of God. And that is what it is. It is the grace and love of God poured out into our hearts. And another concern of mine of saying faith alone, like I've heard it so emphatic on faith alone that it honestly sometimes sounds like you're saying, when you say faith alone, it almost sounds like you're excluding God's grace. It's like all, all I need to do is have faith. It's like all on you. No, it's God. It is all God. And all we have to do is respond. <laughs> so, because we say as Catholics, even your faith is a grace and the life that flows from that faith is still grace. And I know that's typically not how most Protestants would even refer to faith, but when they say faith alone, it's like, that's the only thing I need to do. But what's actually being attempted there is to say, like, I do nothing to earn my salvation, which is true, but you have to respond and cooperate with the grace that has been given to you, right? So even believing in faith, that's still a work because it's something that your free will is still engaging in. It's it, Faith is a grace, but when you like make that decision, it's still you participating in that grace, right? So it wouldn't make any sense for uh, Jesus to say, do this, do that, do this, do this, don't do that <laughs> um, if we didn't have free will, right? And so we are saved by God's grace, his love, by faith, working itself out in love. And the least that our faith could do is separate us from demons who have faith as well, right? And that is love. That is what separates us from everybody else, as authentic as our faith is expressed in love. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week, what we're going to be judged on, which is love. And just as according to St. Paul, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. <laughs>